0: So we're just going to spend a few minutes thinking about um, those verses, not all of them, uh, the Corrine read, um, just the first couple. Um, but it's January. Um, you all please, it's January? Yeah, exactly. If January was... Uh, if all the months were being lined up to be picked to be in the school football team, January would be picked last, wouldn't it? Let's face it like that. Mm-hmm. After the really unfit kid. Uh, January is probably the least popular uh, month of the entire year. And uh, after all the fun and games of Christmas... Uh, Most people struggle to know how to get back in uh, to regular life in January. A lot of people um, make silly mistakes and join a gym. Um, They reckon that by the end of Christmas, or just after Christmas, two-thirds of us will have joined a gym, or at least considered joining a gym. And I have to hold my hands up this morning. I nearly fell for it. Um, There was a moment where I actually looked at a gym website, and I thought, should I? And then a voice in the back of my head said, don't waste our money. Hang on. No, it was Andrea. It wasn't the voice in the back of my head. <laughs> and I realised I wouldn't actually go. Uh, but I reckon two thirds of us will at least consider or will join a gym. And then by the end of January, um, a third of those who have joined will quit. And if you're a man this morning, I've got to say 59% of men that join gyms um, quit by the end of January. And only 15% of women, apparently. How they work this out, I don't know. So if you're a woman, yeah, well played. Um, if you're a man, just yeah, give up. M- most men don't care about, about being a bit, a bit podgy. There we are. Um, so, but how do you respond to that new year when it begins in earnest? But more importantly, uh, well, most people, sorry, when they come to January, they make lots of New Year's resolutions. Uh, we deliberately avoided them in our house. Uh, we got to New Year's Eve, 59 minutes past 11. And I said, oh, has anyone got any New Year's resolutions? No. Not one person. Hannah Marie said, uh, "My New Year's resolution is to not make any." And I thought, "You're too young to be that cynical." <laughs> Bless her. Um, but we all avoided them. Most people either uh, respond to January by being dry, or spring cleaning, or making New Year's resolutions. But other people just simply feel down that it's another month of another year of another day in our lives. But how do we respond, not to January, but how do we respond to the Christmas story we've just heard? How do we respond to the birth of Jesus and the cross and all the things that we talk about week in, week out of church? How do we respond to all of that stuff? Um, as we take down our Christmas decorations, which hopefully you've done by now... Um, Do we consign the birth of Jesus to the top drawer or the shed or somewhere and get it back out next year? What's our response to this amazing story of Jesus being born to die and to rise again and to give us all salvation if we come to him through faith? Well, this morning our our text is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're only looking at 1 and 2, but I thought it'd be good to have the whole thing read out because it really is a brilliant chapter. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Romans, uh, it was written as a letter, written by a man named Paul. You'll know Paul from uh, a man who used to be called Saul, had a, a Damascus Road experience where he met Jesus supernaturally and he was formerly a murderer. And Jesus said, stop persecuting me. And he changed his life, became a Christian. And he went on to be the greatest missionary, if you like, at the world scene as he went all over Europe. Uh, and parts of other parts of the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these two verses written by Paul make some really amazing comments about how we should reflect and really celebrate uh, and respond to the Christian message, the Christmas message, as we approach January, as so we're halfway through January. And i read these two verses to you again. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in Greek, that means brothers and sisters, by the way. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul, the writer of this book, of this passage, uh, writes to a church in Rome uh, and quite unusually he's not actually visited this church or started it. Normally when he writes his letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, he's either started the church or already been there and visited them. But he's not actually been to the Roman church, the church in Rome. And so this is quite an academic letter. He's outlining the basics, basic elements of the Christian faith. And whilst it's very academic, it's also very beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to sit and read. And he's never actually been to Rome, Paul. But there's a real sad irony because as he finishes this letter, uh, you know from the book of Acts that it won't be too much longer in the future when he will be taken to Rome as a prisoner, accused of all sorts of things. And he will be under house arrest for two years before being beheaded for his faith. And if I could just go off on a tangent, if you're a Christian here this morning, I feel it ought to be my duty to remind you that being a Christian isn't easy. That being a Christian involves sacrifice. That across the globe right now, our brothers and sisters are being killed for professing the name Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. In Syria, Christians have been burnt and beheaded. Lots of people have sadly suffered the same fate, but often people are picked on and targeted because they follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our faith isn't something that we just have nicely with us to make us happier. We follow someone who may may call us uh, to give our lives or to give up our reputation. We must pray for our brothers and sisters that they would stand firm in the midst of trial. But we should also be ready because the tide is slowly turning in the UK against the church and what it believes and this is not me being paranoid this is actually what most christians see coming and so we should be praying for courage we should be learning as much of this book as we possibly can uh, while we're still allowed to preach freely from it That's for me, it's just off on a tangent. Um, But back to this letter. So we're on chapter 12. We've had the first 11 chapters. In these first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul outlines the gospel message, the message of salvation, how God saved us and the way he brings us into his uh, kingdom, his family. And he outlines it beautifully, academically, clearly, wonderfully, how God entered this world and saves us from our sin when we trust God. In Jesus Christ. And then at the beginning of chapter 12. The whole book turns. It changes its tune from being about the gospel message. To actually our response to it. How we respond to that gospel message. And in fact our verses this morning. Are the turning point in the book of Romans. About how we respond to the message of the cross. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And the message uh, in our first two verses. uh, Chapter 12 are quite simple. And the message is this. That Christianity, the message of the cross, isn't just something we simply accept and believe up here or in here. We have to respond to it. We have to respond to the message of Christ on the cross and rising again through faith. Our actions should follow what we believe. When people are baptised in this church, I go in there and I ask them a very simple question. Do you promise to obey Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Unfortunately, I have a 100% record of people saying yes. Um, otherwise, it's very awkward, and we all have to get out and be wet and not quite sure what, what else to do. But Romans is asking that same question. After 11 chapters of going through what salvation really is, the unsaid question is, are you going to respond to this? What's it going to look like in your lives? Are you ready to live 100% for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because every relationship needs a response doesn't it in fact if you're in a relationship where there isn't a response from either side then it's a relationship in crisis whether it be a marriage or a relationship between parents and kids or a business relationship or leadership can you imagine a healthy relationship where one partner takes 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 but never gives in return never says I love you or never says anything nice or shows any kind of loving uh, gesture in return just takes but never gives can you imagine a a family life where parents give 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 and kids never say thank you maybe you can Uh, I can't Um, we're like the Wartons in our house Um, At least in in here, anyway. In fact, we've got a lovely sign in our bedroom, which none of you would have seen, obviously. And it says, uh, as a mum whispering to her child, shh, as far as anyone knows, we're a normal family. (laughs) And that's true for us, just so you know. But every relationship on earth that you're in demands a response, not just taking. And God is exactly the same. You're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and he demands a response, From us, not just simply to believe and live as we want, but to respond to the fact that He sent His only Son. And so let's start with verse one. It starts with the word, therefore. And uh, that word, therefore, takes us back to those 11 chapters, but particularly it takes us back uh, to verse 33 to 36 of chapter 11. We've got this lovely sort of poetic doxology that finishes off the first half of the book. And it says, oh, the depth of the riches of of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that we should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And just that verse, verse 35, who's ever given to God, really is kind of sets us up for these first two verses because the truth is, despite what Paul writes, offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God. He's already said, but you can give nothing to God that God wants. What could I ever give to God? that God would say, oh, good, thanks, I needed that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, Lord, here's some money. I've got it all. Well, here's some of my time. Well, I've got that as well. What can I ever give to God that a perfect, holy, complete being who rules the universe hasn't already got perfectly? At Christmas, we sing, um, well, some people sing Little Drummer Boy. And uh, if you want to do the pa rum pum pum -pum bit, you can. Feel free to let yourselves go. Um, And he says, little baby... No right, that's the wrong time, wasn't it? Sorry, it's at the end of the line. Sorry, um, I'm a poor boy too. No, don't worry. Let's not do that. That's just, that's just a bit too cheesy for church, isn't it? And he says, "I've got no gift to bring that's fit for a king," and he just plays his drum because that's all he's got is his ability to serve this little baby. And then in the bleak, bleak midwinter, um, we read there at the end of I think it's verse two or verse three, "What can I give?" And then the verse concludes, "Only my heart." Give him my heart. And really, what can I give God? Nothing. Except verse 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. My entire life. Offer my entire life. It starts off, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, and pleasing to God, and that word mercy in Greek, the original language, is actually plural. What God, Paul's saying is, in view of all the things God has done for you, in view of every single time God has shown you mercy, because of all the stuff that He's done from the beginning of the world right up until the day you were born, and now, and well into your future, all the mercies of God, past, present, and future, in light of all of that, give Him your entire. Life. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, let me tell you, he has already done more for you than any human ever could. He has already loved you with an unending love. He's already sent his son to die for you on the cross. He's already made it possible to survive death and live forever. He has made it possible for you to be forgiven and to be made completely clean on the inside. Forget gym memberships and looking ripped and clean, but he makes you clean on the, and strong on the inside. He's already done all that for you. All you've got to do is accept his son, Jesus Christ, and it's yours. But he's already been working for your benefit and your salvation since before you were born. And so Paul says, in light of all of that, give him your entire life as a sacrifice pleasing to god and that is the secret of growth right there paul has spent 11 chapters pondering the salvation that god gave through jesus and he just says god take everything if you want to grow as a christian this morning if you know jesus as your savior the secret of growth is this to ponder the cross every day If you live in light of what Jesus did for you at the cross and the empty tomb, then your life will be completely different. Your faith will be strong. Your priorities will be correct and your fear will vanish because you will know the King of Kings properly. That is the secret of growth. Paul says we must offer our lives in response to this cross. And when we do those things that are right and good as Christians, we don't do them to make ourselves right with God. We do them in response to what God's already done for us. He goes on, he says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And it all gets a bit like that at that point. we like, would like a nice, easy Christianity, one that doesn't demand anything from us, one where I can believe in God and come to church and, and live my own life, and then he follows me. But actually, what Paul says is, you've got to offer God your body, That's a real challenge. And if you're a Christian this morning, let me ask all of us a question. Do I honor God with my body? Not just my mind, but my body. What do my hands touch? What do my eyes look at? What goes into my body? What comes out of it? Does this thing that is physical honor the King of Kings? Would Jesus do it? Do I use my body in a Christ-like way 1 Corinthians describes our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that, a temple where God's Holy Spirit dwells. That's your physical body. So it isn't just enough to be spiritually healthy. The Bible says your body is a temple and must treat it as such as well. But it's not just about physical bodies. Paul uses a word that is, again, in Greek, actually refers to the whole of a person. It's not just your physical body, it's your mind, your priorities. Everything, Paul says, is to be offered to God. What he says is when you know about the cross, you should give God everything you have. Physically, mentally, spiritually, everything should be at God's disposal. Maybe you sit here this morning and you think to yourself, that's a bit unreasonable, isn't it? That's a bit unreasonable. My career... Is that to be put under God for him to use? Yes. My money? Yes. My time? My me time? Hang on. Is that God's as well? Yes. Everything is God's. And you might think to yourself, well, that's unreasonable. I already come to church on a Sunday, and I attend a small group, and I come to some prayer meetings. Surely that's enough. I like to have a bit of time for myself, but Paul says everything is God's not half and half. That's unreasonable, surely. What's really amazing, what I love, is I think Paul was secretly a bit British um, all those years ago because he says at the end of verse 1, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And it's here that I realize that he was secretly British Um, because that word spiritual, for spiritual act of worship, that word spiritual can be translated reasonable. What a way to completely rob the whole thing of any sort of oomph. It's reasonable, yeah. And so just when you think it's unreasonable of God to take everything I've got, Paul says, no, no, I've been looking at the cross for 11 chapters. It's really reasonable to give him the lot, actually. I watched um, Schindler's List a few months ago, and it's uh, one of my favourite films, actually. And there's a wonderful moment at the end. If you don't know the story, he's a, he's a, a German, I think, and he... And he helps loads of Jews escape. He has a factory and he basically makes himself bankrupt um, employing Jews to get them out of concentration camps. And there's this wonderful part at the end of the film where um, they all come out of the factory and they surround Schindler, Oscar Schindler. And he looks at them all and they're sort of clapping and they're cheering him on. And the man almost breaks down. He's overwhelmed with emotion, not because he's done a brilliant thing and he's really pleased with himself, but because of Two things. He notices a pin on his jacket and he says, I'm an idiot. Why did I keep this pin? It's worth two Jews. Then he looks at his car and he says, why did I keep that car? I should have sold that. That was worth 20 Jews. I could have saved more. I could have done more because in light of what had gone on, he realized he should have given it all. And it's the same with the cross. Let me put this message in human terms. Imagine that um, you committed a crime. Imagine we lived at a different time in history and uh, they still had the death penalty. Imagine we lived at a time where they hung people for their crimes and, uh, and you'd committed a crime. I won't pick on anybody, um, just in case you have committed a crime and it made you feel uncomfortable. Um, but you've committed a crime and you go to court and the judge looks at you. And the judge works it through fairly, correctly, and according to the law, says you're guilty. You're going to be hung by the neck until you are dead. You've got nothing you can say. You are guilty. And according to the law of that time, you deserve to die. And imagine then that you leave that courtroom, and the judge is walking next to you, and as you get to the gallows, as you're about to walk up the steps, he does that. And then he does this, and his son walks up the steps, puts his head in the noose, and they kick the stall out and the son hangs there and dies, and then the judge turns to you and says, you're pardoned, go free. Now, imagine that for a second. What would your response be to that judge? Would you complain that he didn't do enough for you the next week, or in three or four months time, would you say, well, he never is there when I phone him up, or when I want something extra, he never does it, or would you say to him, oh, here's a few pounds, you can have that. That's paid our debt, isn't it? No, he wouldn't. You would say, I've got nothing that I can give you to make this debt equal. And I can never, ever complain that you don't do enough for me ever again. In fact, what you would do is you would go to that judge, you would fall on your knees and you would say, everything I've got is yours. And my entire life is forever in your service, wouldn't you? Because his son had died for you. How much more then should we have the same attitude, Paul says, when God's only son was nailed to a cross for you and me so that we could go free? But this verse gets even more amazing. In Isaiah 64, verse 6 we're reminded that our righteousness is like dirty rags before God. And so actually when Paul talks about offering a holy sacrifice to God, the truth is I can't offer anything. Nothing I've got is holy for God. Everything I've got is dirty, even the best bits of me. But because Jesus has already cleaned me up, when I offer my life to God, it becomes a holy sacrifice. And it's even more amazing to think of that. And so then Paul says to us as we enter 2016, there are Excuse me. Two ways that you can respond to God. The first is to offer him everything. And the second, verse 2, is to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Not just to say, God, here you can have it all, but to actually then dare to live differently. And part of offering ourselves to God is that we turn from our sin on a daily basis. Are you angry this morning? Turn away from it. If you're bitter, if someone's upset you and you're annoyed with them, let it go. Greed, pride, unforgiveness, arrogance, gossip, self-centeredness, lust are all a pattern of this world. And in light of the cross and in response to it, we're to live differently and to let go of those things. It's about asking what would Jesus do and then living the best version of that as we can in a world that's so often very different. And so I'm finished. And as you enter 2016, let me just say this. And I hope this releases some of you from a real burden. Forget the gym. It's a waste of money. It won't make you any happier. It'll make your bank balance slimmer, but not your waistline, I'm afraid. Forget the diet. Forget the brand new me. Forget the New Year's resolutions. If you genuinely want a healthy, happy, good New Year, go back 2,000 years to the cross of Jesus Christ look at him nailed there for you and say he did that because of me for me to save me meditate on that until you run out of time and then live in light of it because all those other things will never fill that void will never make us what God wants us to be but the cross and faith in Christ will let's pray Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for these verses in Romans 12. Lord, we, Lord, I love them. They're brilliant. Lord, they're just poetic and fantastic. And Lord, I thank you for the way you inspired your word. Thank you, Lord, that we, we get to live a life, Lord, in response to what you've already done. Lord, so many people, Lord, have been uh, fed the line that they have to be good to make you happy with them. that They have to work hard to get into heaven. Lord, for the Christian, we have this liberation, Lord, this liberty from that, that we just have faith in your son, Jesus. We pray our trust in him, and because he's perfect, because he's good, Lord, we're going to heaven when we die. We're already forgiven. So, Lord, we get to respond to that by being good people. Not good, Lord, to save our souls, but because our souls are saved, to live differently. And I pray this morning, Lord, anyone here that is feeling that kind of, you know, I must get down to the gym, I'm going to be better, I'm going to try harder, that, Lord, they'll realise they're doing it in their own strength, that the only response to a a depressing January is to go back to the cross, the greatest moment in history when God's King of Kings, His Son, was hung on a cross for each one of us, that if we believe in Him, we do not die but have everlasting life. And, Lord, I thank you for the effect in my life of knowing that Saviour, and for the effect of so many here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.